Good morning. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul Angeline. And today we're talking about homebrew versus house rules. And if you're as confused as I am, that's okay. Saul will explain it all. <laughs> There's nothing to be confused about. We've talked about homebrews and house rules before. I don't think we've ever really talked about it as a as a subject by itself on our podcast. So here we are. We're talking about it uh, in 2022. Happy New Year, peoples. <laughs> I was supposed to say that. Happy New Year. For me, a homebrew, let's define each one. A homebrew is where the game is either entirely made up by a person or made up the rules and the setting and everything. Or it's based on an existing game, but it has been changed really massively that it's almost unrecognizable. Maybe there's some core game element or mechanic, but uh, it is really like completely different game. So Are we talking about homebrew? Homebrew, right. Pretty close to the definition I found online. Well, well what is the definition online? A role-playing game played using house rules or devised entirely by its participants. Well, there you go. Correct. So I got a little story to say to tell you people. This shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. <laughs> so years ago, and I'm talking years ago, like, well, more than 40 years ago now, I think. So I was about 10, 40, almost 45 years okay, ago. Okay, dude, just So anyway, my brother is in high school. He's going to high school. And he's going to high school with this guy called Andrew Leaker, who was also a role-playing game guy. And he, they went to Salinas High. And I, later on, I went to North High. As he got older, my, my brother was five years older than me, so he... He was just getting out of school or like in high school and I was in junior high and I was going into uh, high school myself. I was entering high school. He was leaving. Anyway, he was playing with this guy called Andrew Leaker and Andrew Leaker and they played games, you know, Dungeons and Dragons. But Andrew had this homebrew. It was a uh, fantasy, science fiction fantasy game. And I think it was based on either, originally it was based on either Metamorphosis Alpha or Tecamel, Right. So he liked, uh, I think it was Tecamel for some reason. He liked the idea of Tecamel, uh, this strange world, but he didn't like some aspects about it. So he changed the world, right? So he's literally changing the setting and made up all, basically made a whole new world. Weird and wacky. And it was very uh, imaginative. At least my brother was uh, playtested in that. Well, he wasn't playtested. He was just playing in it. And... Uh, as the years progressed, I guess he decided to actually make the game. So somehow he got in contact with a guy in my high school, North High, North Salinas High, called Miles Tevis. And Miles Tevis was a, a high school artist, right? And he was absolutely amazing for a kid in high school. He was an amazing artist, right? So somehow they they knew each other, even though I don't think Miles played D&D. No, you digress. Yeah, I'm digressing, but I don't think they ran in the same circles. But anyway, um, uh, an artist at the level of, of Miles Tevis probably got the attention of Andrew Leaker, and Andrew Leaker decided to make the game. It became Jerome. Jerome, the role-playing game. And Miles did the, did the art for it. So the reason why I, what I'm, the whole reason I talk about Jerome is because I think it started as a homebrew, right? It started as, as Leaker playing his own version of Tecamo, but he threw out the rules, right? Then he threw out the setting because it, was, it wasn't uh, to his liking. And here is the new, totally new, and he published the game. I think it went through three editions. Well, I know it went through three editions. And there you go. You got this homebrew that actually became a published game. So that, to me, 
is a homebrew. I mean, there's a, a, another other examples of homebrews, right? Like Zweilander, right? That guy, he was playing uh, Warhammer Fantasy and and just changes up a little bit. He changes the rules, changes the rules. And you could see that there's a core mechanic of the D, D100 system, but he added all these rules and then he just changed, had his own world. And bada bing, bada boom, you have a homebrew that has been published. So there's, that story is recurring. There's, a lot of people do that. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say uh -oh. that I think that most homebrews aren't published. Oh, yeah, 100%. It's true. Um, I mean, if you... If it starts out as a homebrew because you liked a certain system, but you don't like this, the setting right. or the rules, then that a homebrew, well, right? Well, I, I think you can get, you can like the, the, the feeling of a game, right? Because Jeroen is kind of reminiscent of Tecamel, right? You're on a distant world uh, colonized by humans, and humans don't necessarily represent the, well, the apex. The main population. Right, right. And, uh, or the most strongest population. I think Jeroen has that same kind of flavor. And I've never played Jeroen, so I, I've only owned a book or the, the box set. You, you see this reoccurring a lot where homebrews become publishable material. And the only difference between everybody else's homebrew and the ones that get published is work. Right? <laughs> These people work at it. They want to do it. And they have well, a little bit of drive to get this done. Besides I mean, work, I mean, maybe their homebrew isn't... isn't good enough to be published maybe they need to polish it like a lot or well there's that exactly. or nobody likes it or well, but now that. in this day and age with kickstarter if you can find people that like it then you can probably you, get it published you don't even need to do kickstarter anymore you can just self-publish like if you go to drive through rpg they literally give you the tools they go this is this is what we this is the system we we used for you to get published to publish your own stuff this is this is the fonts this is this is the 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 typesetting and all that stuff you still got to do it yourself but they there's tools that, that they give you to to do it so like i said it only requires work i remember my brother years ago because i think everybody who plays a, a role-playing game long enough likes to tinker right so he we were playing D D, and he just could come came up with this uh percentile system now he really liked percentile systems i don't know if it was based on space opera or influenced I, I, by. when you were saying that i was just thinking well he loves space opera so that's probably well there was other games like uh, call of cthulhu i don't think i don't know if he, we, he played call of cthulhu back then but that's a percentile system so he came up with his own percentile system he came up with rule i don't remember how many pages all handwritten on binder paper and we played it we played it a couple times and he came up with own experience and all this other stuff levels i don't know how many pages it was but it was playable you know you all you don't need that many pages to, for how to have a playable concept obviously not now they have now they have role-playing games with one page rules <laughs> one page and rules. it's not really one page it's like half a page some of them yes we talked about lasers and feelings right yeah and that's been incorporated into all kinds of different games and some of them look sound kind of kind of fun to play so really a homebrew is it's completely different than just house rules yes also let's let's go to well let's talk about house rules right yeah that was the segue. Segue. Good job. Right. What, what's the difference between that? I think in the house rules, you're just changing little things. Or they could be table rules, too. For example, I have a... Okay. Let's just be clear. Let's clarify this. Because Saul and I had a discussion about it. House rules versus table rules. House rules have to do with the game. Table rules have to do with the 
actual meeting in person and playing together. I guess it could be online too. Right. I just wanted to make sure everybody was clear <laughs> on that. Oh, you're you're right. But in this case, I think it's a it's a house rule. Okay. But, but it's sort of a table rule because it, it affects the the player. Well, everything affects the players, right? My most famous, I don't know, famous, but my my longest running house rule is I don't allow evil characters. So is that a table rule or is that a house rule? I think that's just a Saul rule. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if you're going to put it as a t- table I'm going to say that it's it's a house rule. Because right. in, in, even in, if we're talking about D&D, they're are evil you can roll up an evil character right but you you're not gonna allow it in your game characters of, of, of evil alignment yeah well this usually now it doesn't matter right because D fifth edition kind of it downplays alignment right and i think they're they're talking about sixth edition coming out and i think they're gonna totally do away with alignment system in sixth edition that's my theory i no reason why i have no paper Trail. I, I think I think even if they do yeah, away it, with alignment, it's still kind of ingrained in a lot of the old 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 school gamers, right? Oh yeah. Because when you're doing it, when you're creating the character, alignment kind of gives you an idea of how you're going to play it, right? You're going to play it chaotic good. So really, you're going to do good, right? But you're a little bit chaotic, which I think most D and D players are chaotic. <laughs> and, oh, oh, the the player or the character? Uh, both. <laughs> Mostly the character, because that's when you can let out your creativity, right? You can do crazy stuff that you wouldn't normally do in your daily life. I think you're right to a certain ask a certain point that most people play good characters. I mean, it's just usually that is if you look at published adventures, you're supposed to be the good guys, the right? Heroes, yeah, right. And and usually you do stuff that if you were an evil character, you wouldn't give a crap. You're like, no, I kill you instead. If you want me to go save the princess or whatever, whatever the deal is. Well, you know, there's some, uh, and we've talked about people, horror stories. We'd never really experienced them about games where people did want to play evil characters and they killed each other in the party and stuff like that, (laughs) which I'm like, okay, well, why would I want to play with you if you're going to kill me? Yes. uh, That, that's, that could be another house rule. Or table rule or house rule you know no p versus p no player versus player uh combat or situation i think that might be a little bit i don't know though that's never really happened in my games i don't think it has where a player attacked another player can you remember i said i didn't remember that happening yeah i don't remember uh any any players of mine going p versus p or player versus player which is you know uh a lot of people do a lot of people who play evil characters will go after their own party it's usually a thief, right? Okay, I was just thinking that sometimes there are thieves <laughs> or or rogues in our group that will take stuff without and not share it with the party, which in our party's estimation is a bad thing because they're group, all in it for the money, party. the the group. The, but, although you're talking about the player group, the players or the the party that's both. <laughs> <laughs> how do you how do you separate the party from the player? But there's all kinds of house rules like I was looking up house rules and there were things like for like for D&D 5th edition. This one guy says you can only roll stealth stealth if there's a possibility that you're going to be detected doing something. You can't just roll it to see if you're stealthy and make it through without anybody seeing you because why should you waste a roll unless there's a chance that the guard like if there's a guard there that's going to see you then you can do it. I don't know. I don't agree with that rule but whatever. Well- 
I don't even understand that. I mean, if somebody wants to roll stealth. Roll stealth only at the moment of possible detection. But how was a player to know? I think the GM would have to tell him. Oh, oh. Oh, he would say, don't worry about it. Uh, yeah. Eh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're good. No one saw you. There's nobody here. Small enemies share hit points as a squad and attack as one. That's, I've never thought about that, but we we usually do that. Like, like we were playing Feng Shui mooks. Yes. The mooks usually attack as a group, right? Right. There's, you take the, because there's like, what, 16 mooks and you'd break them into groups of four and then they attack each four. They have a chance, you roll for them to attack those four people to see right. if they do it. Correct. So that's, that's. Uh, unwritten house rule i guess that we do just to make it easier so combat doesn't last for six hours well there's some rules that, that there's some rules that actually account for that stuff right they say group people like savage world yeah. says that there's all kinds i don't know oh yeah there's no no I, I think you get the picture that there's the house rules it could be from there's a anything you can think of there's a house rule. mine was because i didn't want evil characters right and i think at the time uh, we were playing 3.5 or oh no we were playing pathfinder, pathfinder and he and one of the character players wanted to make an assassin which was a which was a player class and i'm like well it's you really have to be evil to be an assassin because you're killing people for money didn't they make a reformed assassin no i oh. said you can't play an assassin okay it's just i don't allow evil characters and he was a little bit miffed and and then I, he i think steve tried to say something about his dad was saying that well he's going to be a reformed one i go well i just I just don't want to get into that era. There's one, there's, I was, we were playing with my son too, who was three years younger than him, and he was only like 10 or 12. So yeah. my son was eight or nine. I go, I don't want to get into that gray area of role playing, you know. And I think the problem I have is that way back in my day, again, I'm going to the way back machine, we were playing AD&D at the scout house, and there was a scout. He was a scout. He was a, he was a boy scout. His name was Stan. I don't remember his last name. I do remember his last name, but I won't say. But anyway, he had uh, my fr my other friends decided who were running the game a campaign. Decided to run a campaign. It was called the staff campaign, right? So we uh, he they go bring your your highest level character, which my highest level character was like third level or something. But Stan had a, like a ninth level character, and he was this chaotic evil dwarf, right? And Stan was the most freaking chaotic dude on a plays at least he played that way that i had ever played with before right he was just he would do anything you know if you if it was chaotic and crazy he'd do it including attack fellow players and he would bully you because he was really high level and i'm like so it was really weird and I, and and i got this idea that he played that character or he played that evil chaotic evil because he just want to be a crappy player right be a crappy player to people right do crappy things so that's probably why you don't like <laughs> playing with evil characters so it was this idea that if you want to play chaotic evil or any evil but chaotic evil you just want to do crazy crappy stuff to your fellow players and i'm like i don't want that because it caused problems in the game right people got mad that he would do crazy things and not like if we were fighting with a group and we're fighting a group of monsters he would like Oh, I'm gonna go look at a, look look at the treasure. Like there'll be a treasure chest, and so they would. And then as as the GMs, they would distract him because he was a, probably the the most powerful character on the yeah in the game. And then and then, the, <laughs> but he he was also very 
<clears throat> it's very tough to role play, to uh, handle him, the character as a as a as the GM because uh, he was just too powerful. And what was funny is that the, the G, it was multiple GMs running the game. It was Mike, his brother, and their friend Rick, and uh, they learned to hate that character because. He was just too powerful than everybody else in the group, and he would roll over the monsters. So they they devised a plan to kill him, and they actually killed the, the character. <laughs> and then like they made, made him feel like crap because it was just like a harpy on a bridge, you know, kind of like the evil bridge in the what was it in the Mighty Python? What is your favorite color and all this stuff? So, but the harpy there was only one, and it, he attacked it, but there was a whole swarm of them. So they were able to make him fall off this Lahari bridge, and then they roll. They, the funny part, you know, they don't really, really mean. The funny part was to see how many times he bounced. So he bounced like six times, mostly, which caused all kinds of damage, and he died. So I think things in my youth have, have definitely colored how I look at things in, in my later on while I'm playing and running games. So from the very beginning, I've never allowed evil, evil characters. When Ian wanted to play that assassin, you had already, I mean, you were using the game to try to teach the boys how to be nice to people and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. yeah a little a, bit of morality yeah. in there. Yeah. So, because I remember you made him cry when you killed his character once when he did something that that <laughs> his character deserved to die for, right? <laughs> so you agree. <laughs> I wasn't there at the time, but then... But then you had another character heal him and bring him back to life. Well, the character, well, okay. So the situation was he had this big cat because he was a druid, uh, like a, I don't know, like the size of a saber-toothed tiger or something like that. It was a huge cat. And so he, you know, he, he would use it to attack and stuff like that. So at one point they come across this princess who, who's escaping her father's evil controlling wrath. And they come upon the scene of, of she's trying to escape. And she's kind of like fighting, but she's not fighting. She's just trying to doing like, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, he's, she's doing like uh, non-lethal damage and stuff. So the players get involved. They got to save the princess. The goody two-shoes. So they start battling. And then at, at one point, they knock down the, the main guy who's chasing her, who she knows because she's li lived in the, in the, what is it? Palace. In a palace his whole life. And so that was her... Like her protector guy, and he was gonna go and bring her back, right? I mean, this is like literally just outside the outside the city gates, and so they knock him down and they knock him out because he was the name character, and then Ian goes, he tells his cat feed upon this guy who's down, and I'm like, I'm like, you sure you want to do that? I told Ian, he was a kid, and and, and now people, well anyway, so I'll finish the story. So uh, I go, you sure want to do that? And then she go, and then she says, don't you dare do that because that's somebody she knew right and she goes you will pay if you do that i told him you will pay if you allow this beast to to kill my that person that man so he goes feed and so the cat kills dude so she throws a lightning bolt at him and kills him <laughs> right and she, she's all you know, lightning bolts are uh he failed the saving throw saving throw this was uh this was pathfinder I'm yeah pretty it was sure. pathfinder and she could you know the eight die yeah Eight, and she rolled really I rolled everything in the open and I totally killed him. I mean, he was beyond dead. Instantly, he started crying, right? So then I made it so like he, he she gets shocked that she of her own. That she. That she yeah, she, she, she was, she did it out of anger, right? That's what I'm saying. And it was kind of a little, and I, and I just said, and she, 
she seems shocked, so she goes over there and she saves his life, right? It brings him back to life. And then, uh, and then she leaves. She hurries off. So they chase her, and that character became you, the character yes, you I played, know. right? So at th- at that point, I'm like, and he was upset, and I and, and I remember being twelve or something years old, and and uh, and everybody at the table was like their eyes, and my son Augustine and his brother, younger brother Alan, they were like their eyes grew really big, and then, and then Augustine goes, well. She told you not to, not to kill that dude, and and uh, it is a, you know it was a teachable moment for me. I'm, I was like, man, do I really want to? The the chances of her killing him was good because they had been in a fight, yeah. And he had taken a little bit of damage, and druids don't have a lot of hit points, and usually they use their animals, their animals, and their, their wild shape and stuff, right? And he didn't. He was an open target, so I, I nailed him hard. And anyways, so he learned that when a certain consequences for your actions right like this guy he didn't need to kill him right there's absolutely no reason he was out of the fight he was knocked out and, and he was just being a, a vicious a person year old vicious yeah. person and, <laughs> and i checked his viciousness if he was pen dragon he'd be checking his viciousness <laughs> and i'm trying to run a, a game for uh, adolescents at this point well and the boys weren't even 10 yet i don't think no they're three years younger so they were like well he was 12 so he might have been nine. nine they were nine I thought it was good because, like, everybody learned at that table, right? Including Steve. Well, yeah. you do crazy stuff. And I tell you not to. Me, as the GM, acting through my NPCs, tell you, you Don't better check that. your stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think uh, they probably learned a little lesson about me dropping the hammer on them. <laughs> well, that and I think that Ian always wants to. And Ian is like a lot of people, right? Push the envelope. You, you read these character classes and you go, I want to play that character. Oh yeah, class. I see what you mean. I think that's a cool idea, and Ian really likes to come up with um, unique characters. And in Feng Shui, that we just played a game of Feng Shui. Yes. And he picked the old drunken master. The right? drunken master, yes. Which I go, oh, because the old man is what is it, the there's, ancient. There's an ancient. There's an old master, but there's the old yeah. master, but he's. But you have, in, you can have three different kinds of old masters. Right. He's he's the 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 drunken master. Yeah. Uh, archetype and it was and he was doing it really well right and but he likes to pick unique characters to play yes and he's a good role player i mean he's a good role player in the sense that he tries to role play i'm not saying that he's an excellent role player which but you know he does good job because he he tries and and for the most part and he he thinks about this is what the character would do and he does it the way the character would do it right right which is really good and but i think that comes with a lot of experience too, not only from playing with with us and his mom and dad, but also with playing with like the other group that he plays with. I forget. I don't know who the, he plays with. The Friday night group that. They oh, play with. that's right. That's right. He does play with his dad. He plays with that other games uh, games on Friday night. And that that kind of opened his eyes to there's all kinds of different role players. Right, and different ways of playing. Yeah. Yes, I agree. So, so as house rules, your rule is no evil characters. There was a reason you did that because you didn't like evil characters from being a kid, right? When you right. were playing. And also right. from playing with kids, trying to teach them small moral lessons, I guess. Cause. Yeah, I mean, and, and yeah, I, I just, and I've never been too, uh, me myself, and I guess I shouldn't judge other people by myself but, or think that other people think the way I am. I'm like, why would anybody play evil character in a group of like good characters, right? Like I remember people playing paladins and why would an assassin be hanging out with the paladin now that would make an interesting story if they were friends 
and, and but that that well, you know that type of stuff doesn't usually happen. This they could have been childhood friends and they went separate ways. Correct, and and maybe the paladin's trying to reform the because that's the, what a the paladin assassin. would do. And especially if it's his childhood friend, you know, there's all kinds of yeah. role playing aspects that you can work out, and I think that makes for a better game. Unfortunately, I don't think uh, for the most part people who play evil characters that's the intent um, in my mind because I think it's Stan. So most house most house rules oh, yeah. aren't quite as as uh, people may make house rules for different reasons than Saul. Like the GM doesn't roll the dice behind a screen, right. so everybody can see what's happening. You can use an inspiration or whatever you want to call it, a point yeah. of to 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 re-roll or right. something, or maybe nobody dies or well, death is always on the table. <laughs> well, G, the uh, the GM's guide for even D and D. It's loaded with all kinds of options, they call it. And those are basically what I would consider house rules, just, uh, what do you call it, uh, put in print. Yeah. I mean, because like, like, to make the things greedier, there's no such thing as a short rest. A short rest is one day, and you recover a partial number of hit points. Yeah. A long rest is like a week. Yeah. So, th- so it really ch- that would really change the game of D&D. Uh, instead of this super, almost superheroic, yeah, da, 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 I just got into a battle. I've been to take uh, a power nap, but I'll yeah, be 100%. not even a power nap. Was a half hour or something? I just like, I take a breather. We need a breather, like those orcs in the in the movie, and so we could take a short rest, and then we could recharge and keep running for like three days. I think a lot of people see that as as um, not feasible, right, in real life. So they go, well. I can't imagine that just a short rest is going to give you back your hit points or exactly. make you feel like going, right? Because the hit points has changed, right? In original D&D and AD&D, it was actually, people envisioned it as wounds. Right. Right. And then Gary Gygax toward the end when he was still controlling, I think it was Gary Gygax toward the end when he was still controlling AD&D before he got kicked out. He was leaning toward the idea that, no, hit points are not wounds it's a mix of luck it's a mix of stamina and all these other things that an experience an experience right. and all this what happens is as they as you lose hit points you get tired uh you get little nicks and bruises and that starts to wear you down to the point where you get knocked out it's this cloud of all kinds of things that that represent you going down as a character it's just not wounds it's just, it, but that's what it were. I mean, when we, you rolled to hit, right? right. That was the, right. the the hit table. So when I hit, I hit and do five and points of damage. where do you hit? There's like. Well, I don't think D&D I, ever had I one, know, but, but there's other places yeah. to do. So th- those are house rules or options. Uh, I call them house rules that uh, there's a whole bunch of them inside the GM's, GM's guide. for A house a, rule that I would like to have is that the five foot. It, when when somebody passes you within five feet, they can't attack you. But nobody will go for that one in my group. No, that they have that. I know that. Well, they used to have that. I forget when. It, there's a certain situation when when you you go through somebody's zone. I don't know what they call it. I should know. In D and D, we're talking D and D. You when you disengage, you right? can disengage and not get attacked. Yeah. Right. That's why you're carefully gaining away from combat, yeah. which is kind of weird. I I see it as. <laughs> taking steps backwards <laughs> to get away from the sword coming at you. <laughs> but you can't see my wife, but she's like hunched over and she starts moving her arms like she's doing some sort of weird dance. That was walking backwards. Okay. It's sitting in a chair. I understand. So, <laughs> so, so I think house rules, there's a ton of them, right? And it, they range from something small 
to something that's a little bit more will impact the game. Uh, but I think it doesn't change the game enough that it's not, it doesn't change, that it's not it's unrecognizable. It's rules that you don't like or situations you don't want and enforcing that. Right. Like I said, house rules, I think for, for changing little things. Yeah. But for the most part, you still recognize it as whether it's D&D or, oh, that's still uh, Savage Worlds or that's still whatever game that it's based well, I on think some homebrews you probably can recognize that they're it's still part of that but yeah i think you're right no there's some homebrews like like uh Zoolander, right you can see the roots of it being from warhammer well i can't because i've never played warhammer well but... <laughs> that's true you haven't played Warhammer, but it's, it's very reminiscent right it's almost it's like what is it what do people say it's it is uh it's like a warhammer with the serial numbers rubbed off right that's, well, that's not nice. Someone put a lot of work into that. <laughs> well, uh, well, Zoolander, the guy changed the rules enough, though. He added all kinds of rules and stuff like that to make the game a little bit more, uh, like it needs to be more chaotic, but more, you know, there's, there's a power dice that's not in the original uh, rules or the Warhammer rules, game. right? So house rules, homebrews, I think they're uh, definitely a part of role-playing games and forever will be. Because people who play role-playing games like to tinker. Uh, I've never, I don't think that I've ever come up with my own homebrew or changed rules enough to make it a homebrew. Uh, Felipe has, like, he had that homebrew system. Uh, I forget if he based it on anything. I don't remember. But I, know, I do remember it was percentile dice. I do remember he wrote things out. And I do remember playing it. And I think we had a great time doing it. As long as people are playing role-playing games, there's going to be homebrews and house rules. There you go. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul and Jolene. You have a good day.